0: Amen. Thank you, Hannah. Good morning, everyone. So, I'm sad to say we're nearing the end of our series on Matthew. So, as you heard from the reading, today we're looking at Matthew 7 and this phrase, ask, seek, knock. Now, sometimes when us preachers introduce a passage, we like to open with an illustration. A story that hooks us in and helps us understand the meaning of the scripture. But this morning, I'm going to cheat a little bit because the illustration I'm going to use is the same one Jesus used to illustrate this teaching. Now, this isn't found in Matthew 7, but in Luke's Gospel. So if you have a Bible in front of you, please turn to Luke 11, which is page 1042, and we'll be starting at verse 5. So while you're looking for the passage, let me explain. So Jesus' ask seek knock teaching appears in Luke's Gospel as well as Matthew's. As we're in a series on Matthew, that's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. But Luke's version, unlike Matthew's, is introduced with a parable, most likely because Luke's recording a different time that Jesus taught this same message. So, here we go, Luke 11, verses 5 through 9. Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, "'Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. "'A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me, "'and I have no food to offer him.'" And suppose the one inside answers, "'Don't bother me. "'The door is already locked, and my children are in bed. "'I can't get up and give you anything. "'I tell you, even though he will not get up "'and give you the bread because of friendship, "'yet because of your shameless audacity, "'he will surely get up and give you as much as you need.'" Okay, so let's unpack this. Your friend is on a long trip and unexpectedly, in the middle of the night, stops off at yours for refreshments. You're horrified because you don't have anything to offer them, so you go to your other friend's house, wake him up, and ask for bread to accommodate your guest. Your friend understandably says, go away, my kids are asleep. But even though your friend is annoyed with you and certainly won't get up just because he's your friend, He will eventually get up and give you more bread than you can hope for because of your shameless audacity in asking. Hmm. So I'm just going to leave that mulling over in our minds for a bit while we go to our actual passage, which is Matthew 7. So please turn back in your Bibles to Matthew. As a reminder, that's page 971. Uh, Maybe keep a finger um, or a bookmark in Luke for a bit later on. So Matthew 7, let's do that verse uh, 7 and 8 again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, so ask, seek, knock. What do these words mean? What is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, first, let's get the obvious out of the way. Who are we asking and seeking? Whose door are we knocking our Father God's. We can see this in verse 11, which talks about the person who gives when we ask, our Father in heaven. So if we're asking and seeking God and knocking on his door, how do we do that? We pray. Prayer is the primary way we communicate with God. Luke certainly had this in mind in his gospel. If you still have that finger in Luke 11, you can see that ask, seek, knock in verse 9 is placed shortly after the Lord's Prayer in a section of teaching all about speaking to God. So all of that to say, ask, seek, knock is about prayer. But what do the individual words actually mean? So right up front, I'm going to say that what Jesus is asking us to do here is to pray with boldness, to pray with confidence, to pray with audacity, to pray without reserve. To put our all into our prayers and not give up. So how do I get that from these words, ask, seek, knock? Well, let's take them one at a time and you'll see. So ask, of these three words, is probably the one we'd most readily associate with prayer. Asking God for stuff. However, the way we might think of the word ask probably doesn't quite capture what Jesus Is asking us to do here if we think of our earthly parents as children we were probably taught to ask for stuff politely like please mother could I have a snack but actually the Greek word used here for "ask," while it can have the sense of request it can also mean petition beg or demand now that is less like how we were taught to ask for things as children and more like how we probably did ask for things Mom! Mom! I'm hungry! Mom! I want a snack! Mom! Does that sound familiar, Mom? Yeah, she's nodding, yeah, yeah. So, that seems kind of weird, doesn't it? The word Jesus uses for praying to God, our Lord and King, the infinite being who deserves our utmost respect and reverence, has the sense of petition or demand. Well what was the phrase Jesus used in the parable from Luke's gospel? Shameless audacity. Like the shameless audacity of waking up your friend for some bread at midnight, Jesus tells us to pray to the Father. And like the parable says that the friend will give to you in abundance because of your shamelessness, so the Matthew passage says, everyone who asks receives. Now, an important note here. When Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, Do we think he means everyone who asks for a Lexus will receive a Lexus, or a countryside mansion, or infinite wealth? No, there are a few caveats. James chapter 4 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Matthew 21, If you have faith and do not doubt, you can do anything through God. 1 John chapter 5, If we we ask God for anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus says everyone who asks, asks receives. But elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus and his apostles make clear. You have to ask in the right way, without doubt, with the right motives, and according to God's will. And sure, that sounds like a lot of caveats. But to unpack that Matthew 21 quote a bit more, Jesus says, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. So through asking God, we won't get that fancy car we want to show off to our friends, but God could get a mountain to tear itself out of the ground and throw itself into the sea. In other words, be bold. Ask for big things. Ask with faith the right motives, and according to God's will, and you'll receive anything you could possibly imagine. So again, back to our parable. Imagine your friend has stopped by unexpectedly. You might offer him a sandwich, maybe two, so like two to four slices of bread and some filling. But the person in the parable asks his friend for three loaves, I don't know about you, I have a pretty big appetite, but even I couldn't put away three loaves of bread in one sitting. But the parable says, because of your shameless audacity, the friend gives you as much as you need. Or let's be real, in this case, way, way more than you need. Jesus affirms this in verse 11 of our Matthew passage. He says, even though you are sinful, you know how to give, give good gifts to your children. So how much more is the almighty, divine Father in heaven going to give you good gifts? So we know we can ask for big things through prayer, but what sort of big things can we ask for with the right motives, with faith, and that would be according to God's will? Well, let's think about some big answers to prayer in the Bible. One of the kings of Judah in the Old Testament is a man named Hezekiah who has spent years defending his kingdom from the invading Assyrians in 2 kings chapter 20, hezekiah is seriously ill and the prophet Isaiah tells him he's going to die. In response, Hezekiah weeps bitterly in prayer and reminds God how faithful and devoted he is to him. Before Isaiah can leave the palace, God speaks to him through him to Hezekiah again to say that not only will he heal Hezekiah and add 15 years to his life, but he will also deliver his city from the Assyrians. Now, I want to tread carefully here because many of us have prayed boldly for people and they've not been healed or prayed for ourselves about a health condition that we continue to suffer from. I personally have laid, people on ha- uh, laid hands on people to heal their cancer and they've later died from it. God has reasons beyond our comprehension for not answering all our prayers for healing. But if our desires are aligned with God's, and we ask with good motives and faith, God will heal. This is far from the only example. The New Testament is full of healing stories, and healing is not the only big thing we can pray for. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. In fact, they're put in the inner cell and have their feet put in stocks. Seemingly, there is no hope of getting out. But instead of wallowing in helpless misery, Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns to God. As a result, a violent earthquake shakes the foundations of the prison, and the prison doors fly open, and all the prisoner's chains come loose. The jailer wakes up, and on seeing the situation, he goes to kill himself out of shame, but God gives Paul the boldness to stop him and lead the jailer and his family to believe in Jesus and be baptized. Now, I'm not saying we should pray for an earthquake uh, under Wandsworth Prison or wherever. We don't even know whether Paul and Silas were specifically praying to be freed. But I am saying that Paul and Silas were incredibly bold, praying and worshipping despite their dire straits. So what are the prisons of our own behaviour, of our own minds, that we could pray with boldness into? Addiction? Idolatry? Depression? Again, I'm not saying God will always cure these crippling conditions in every circumstance or that counseling and medication don't often play an important part in management or recovery. But God might cure the condition. That might be his will. Or, it might be his will that, in our shameless prayers into our personal prisons, God gives us even greater gifts, like the opportunity and boldness to evangelize to others suffering in similar circumstances. So, point one of praying with boldness. Ask for big things in the right way, and you shall receive. Okay, so how about seek? What is Jesus telling us to do when he says, seek the Father? To answer that, let's take a look back at the Old Testament once more. At the beginning of Deuteronomy, Moses is relaying a whole bunch of messages from God to the Israelites. By chapter 4, God gives a load of warnings to Israel against becoming corrupt. After all this fire and brimstone, uh, brimstone stuff, though, he says, but. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. So God is giving a way out. However bad you get, if you then genuinely seek God, you will find him. But where's the boldness? Where's the audacity in that? Well, let me answer that with a different parable. You might know the parable of the prodigal son from Luke 15. A son asks his father for a share of the inheritance, runs off and squanders it on wild living, eventually ending up in poverty and eating food meant for pigs. Realizing he's starving to death, he comes to his senses and returns to his father, who greets him with open arms and showers him with gifts. There is the shameless audacity of seeking God. We are sinners. We don't deserve to seek God. We don't deserve his love, his compassion, his good gifts. How dare we seek the perfect father who is spotless and divine? How dare we? Because we have forgiveness through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and because Jesus tells us to. He commands us to boldly seek God, even though we are drenched in the stink of our sin, soaked in the stench of pig slop. Though we are filthy and undeserving of his love, Father God welcomes us with open arms. We seek God boldly because we seek him in spite of our sin. We beg forgiveness even though we don't deserve a second look. And when we seek God in spite of our sin but with repentance, we find him. He welcomes us with open arms. Let's go to a non-parable example and revisit the Old Testament kings, but this time back to near the beginning during the reign of Solomon. The first thing we read about Solomon once he inherits his throne from his father David is when his brother Adonijah asks to marry Abishag, the close personal servant of, his late, of their late father. Solomon sees this as a challenge to his throne and has his brother killed as well as their uncle Joab who conspired with Adonijah. So Solomon starts his reign with blood on his hands. He's got the stench of sin on him. But the very next chapter, Solomon shows his love for the Lord by following all the religious rituals set out by his father. And God appears to Solomon in a dream, prompting him to ask for a discerning heart. So God makes him not just wise but the wisest person in the history of the world and gives him more wealth and honor than he could ever hope for. Now we don't know if Solomon specifically repented for this bloody start to his reign, but we do see that he's clearly seeking the Lord by the time he's granted this wisdom. And so with us, We all have sin in our lives. We're all unworthy of God's gifts. But that shouldn't stop us from boldly praying for such gifts because God, as it says in verse 11, gives good gifts to those who ask him. So pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray for guidance, for connectedness, discipline, focus, empathy, positivity, responsibility. Whatever's on your heart to pray for, however you might serve others with a gift from God, repent of your sin and pray with boldness finally knock what's bold about knocking well let's go back to our first parable you knocking on your friend's door at midnight desperate for some bread for your visitor does this have the sense of doing one polite little knock no i mean whoever knocks once right There's a sense of desperation, a sense of, hello, hello, open up, I need some bread. A few weeks ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer and how the line, give us today our daily bread, is a call for us to pray every day for our everyday needs. Like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray continuously. God doesn't want us to just knock once and then give us everything we want he wants us to be shamelessly audacious and knock again and again and again and that what happens well in the parable your friend opens the door and gives you as much as you need or probably even more than you need not just a couple of sarnies but three whole loaves so again what biblical examples can we draw from here examples of repeated prayer well What comes to mind for me, yet again, is from the stories of the early kings. We hear about the exploits of David before and after he becomes king in the books of Samuel and Chronicles. Running parallel to many of these stories are recordings of David's prayers and praises in response to the situations he finds himself in. In 1 Samuel 22, King Saul is pursuing David because he knows he's a threat to the throne much like with Solomon and Adonijah years later. During the pursuit, David escapes Saul and hides in a cave. Then, as recorded in the book of Psalms, we get two separate prayers that David prays during this time. Let me read out some extracts from each and see if you can spot some similar themes. So first we have Psalm 57. "'Have mercy on me, my God, for in you I take refuge "'in the shadow of your wings.'" I am in the midst of lions, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. Then Psalm 142. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I say, you are my refuge. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Both times, David is praying for mercy, seeking refuge in the Lord, and acknowledging the strength of his enemies and the trap they've set for him. David cries out in in desperation on these multiple occasions, and God answers his prayer. First, his close companions find him in the cave. Then, a whole bunch of other allies. Then, some elite expert warriors. Eventually, with the help of this great army, David is able to overcome some militants that attack his home, and Saul later dies in a different battle, paving the way for David to become king. Now, that's an unlikely scenario for us today, but what could we pray to be rescued from? What circumstances in our lives feel like a snare or a trap? Do we have difficult situations at work that come up again and again? Do we argue with our, same, with our families about the same things over and over? Do we keep coming back to the same sins day in and day out? Follow David's example and Jesus' invitation and knock on the door. Not once, timidly, but over and over again with boldness until God answers. Okay, so that's ask, seek, knock. If we ask for big things, we will find them. If we seek God in spite of our sin, we will find him. If we knock on the door over and over again, God will open that door and give us our fill and then some. So let us be bold in our prayers, because if an earthly parent desires to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him?